Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis, aka Brutal Gash. Pretty dejected after a loss to the Sixers today. With me as always to break it all down is Jackson, aka Rickman Lives. Jackson, how's it going, mate? Yeah, doing doing all right, considering, but uh, you know, I don't think it's anything worth worrying about, so all good. All good, we shall say. Yeah, we'll get there. And of course, our esteemed analyst from across the Tasman, it's Joe, aka Nosecrows McFly. How are you, Joe? Yeah, similar. I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty composed after the result. I'm not I'm not sweating it. Yeah, we're on to game five. On to game uh, look, five, exactly. Onto it. That's right. Let's get right into it. Game four, a ninety-two to one or three loss to the Sixers in Philadelphia. Guys, Brett Brown with the shakeup, starting hustle man TJ McConnell. What do you think? Well, it worked for him, didn't it? Um, the the interesting thing about this is, um, in, in my opinion, I mean, first of all, the similarities between someone like TJ McConnell and a guy like Marcus Smart, I think, is is uh, is there to be seen. I mean, obviously, they're they're not the tallest guys, but they're you know known for their defensive mongrel, and um, and every now and then can have effective scoring games. as Smart can do. This was the TJ McConnell game, as far as I'm concerned. You know, he he added the spark that they needed. You know, he was able to get to the basket quite a bit, and I mean, it's a not, not a bad little stat line there, 19 points, 5 assists, 7 rebounds, and a plus minus of 18, so, um, you know, you've got to give credit to him and to Brett Brown for bringing him in, and it certainly worked, but I think in the larger context of things, too, that was a game that they 100% needed to win, like it was win or, or go home, and it might be too late, it might all be in vain, but, um, you know, they needed, it. they needed to get that desperation into a result sooner or later, and uh, McConnell was pretty much the spark who, who willed it on. Yeah, I... I... I love McConnell. I I absolutely love the guy. I love his game. Um, so part of me was kind of actually pleased to see him succeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you get like that, eh? Like, um, yeah. But um, yeah, I thought I thought Rosier played it maybe played a little cool. Now I'm I'm going off the highlights here, but I did see a number of times him blow by Terry Rosier like. Terry Rozier was like, I don't know, like flipping Ben Simmons or someone. Like he just blew straight past him. So, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Rozier adjusts. But one thing uh, it kind of struck me is like, we're all like, there's this general sort of like, or there's these, our collective mouths are like agape at, um, at, at TJ McConnell having a, having a quality game in the playoffs. And it's like, we forget these guys are all really good. And they're all well and truly capable of doing this sort of thing, given the opportunity. And um, that's what McConnell did. Yeah. He's, he's a yeah. real player. He's a real NBA player. And he yeah. got it a chance to shine and he showed he can do it. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon in playoff series, though, for like one guy to come in and sort of not be the difference. I, I will put that down to, but just like you know, guys you wouldn't expect come in and contribute and end up getting wins or can get up you know wins that happen. So it's not uncommon that it's people, but someone like TJ McConnell, it's just you know you wouldn't necessarily have gone to him first on the list, at least for Philly. Yeah, I don't know if it was game two or game three. I think it was game two where there was a situation where McConnell came in. Maybe it was game three. I don't know. Anyway, and he was doing really well. Um, and then Brett yeah, Brown made two. the decision to, yeah, game two. Thank you. To bring Ben Simmons back in. And now, you know, it sort of really begs the question, like if they had left McConnell in at that point or maybe even played him sort of heavier minutes throughout the series, like wh- where would they be? You know, obviously Philly have been the, the heavy favorites, the, you know, throughout the entire series. And all of a sudden they start TJ and, um, they get this win, but then the other angle is like, okay, they were probably due for one. Like maybe we weren't going to sweep them. 
this whole time. Uh, they have been the heavy favourites, and we went up 3-0, which was just ridiculous in the first place. Um, been the favourites in every game. <laughs> yeah, they're in the, the favourites in the next game as well, which we'll, we'll get yeah. to uh, later on in the pod. But, um, you know, they make this adjustment, and, and it's huge for them. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if they if they ride with that, if they stick with that. Uh, Covington wasn't particularly good. Obviously, he was the guy who went to the bench in place of uh, TJ McConnell, and when they did bring him in, he was terrible, to be honest. Uh, picking up ticky-tack fouls all over the place, missing shots all over the place. Um, so they're probably just sort of hammered at home yeah. for, for Brett Brown. <laughs> that yeah, he had, the right he decision had, there. He had the, uh, he had the Ben Simmons stat line there with one whole point. So uh, good on good on Covington, keeping up the proud tradition that is Philadelphia basketball. He makes a good point. He makes a good yeah, point. Oh, too fast. Too fast. Hey, Damn you. Throwback. We need, now, we need a sound effect for that. Just saying. Aaron Baines, Ray Allen. I was trying to Bainesy, get Ray Baines. get him up Baines here. Into the, I want to book him. I want to book him. <laughs> now, um, I don't know whether to celebrate or commiserate this, this thing, this strategy that is the Baines spacing the floor. So it, this, is how it, this is how it plays out of my mind. On the plus side of it, the positive aspect of this is that it's, he's spacing the floor. And at some point during the game, it was fairly early on, he pump faked somebody on the perimeter and like drove by them. And I think it was where he, he went up for that dunk and got fouled pretty heavily by Covington and made one of the two free throws. But if you had told me at the start of the season that there'd be a play where someone closed out on, on Aaron Baines and he was able to pump fake someone and drive past them and get to the, the cup... I would have told you to piss off, basically. And yet here he is today in a playoff game doing it. Um, so that's that's the positive side where he's able to actually space the floor and, and drag people out clearly. He's enough of a threat where people are closing out on him. The negative side is he went two of something. Um, we'll we'll two bring up six. the stats a little bit later. Two of six, thank you. Uh, not ideal. Uh, and those misses were bad, bad misses. It sort of, it was like reminiscent of me shooting in the park where like, my good shots look great, but my bad shots, they are, they are freaking terrible. Uh, and yet, Bainsey is an NBA player. So uh, I'm curious to hear what you guys think of the strategy. Obviously, it's good to get a bead and the bigs out of the paint, but uh, not a consistent shooter, old Bainsey. Yeah. Well, he's had two games now, games two and four, where he shot 33%, which is obviously, if, if, if three-pointing shooting is not your thing, which obviously it is not for Aaron Baines, then <laughs> there's no point in attempting it. But game one, 66.7, and game three game three was uh, 50. So that's a series average of 45. Rivet, so, they did the uh, math. Cop that, Jackson, yeah. Jackson bringing the stats. Advanced analytics with Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're advancing this is the quality of the analytics of the show, no doubt. Um, so when you look at it on paper, you think you well that's not bad like that's something they should investigate and I think like the general blueprint on how to play the NBA and be successful this day is just have everyone be a three-point threat so I'm not I'm not against him taking the shot if it's there when plays are kind of designed for him if they were in fact designed for him and that's where it's going I would obviously advise against that for obvious reasons but I mean there was a stretch last year where I think Amir Johnson was shooting threes and when they went in they looked Right, like they were like just pure swishes, and then there were times where it would just like it would be like a bad shot in every single capacity you could think: front rim, back rim, air ball, you name it. So like, I don't want to see us relying on Baines for threes, obviously, and I don't think that's our our plan at the moment. But I mean, 
it's not bad. He doesn't have a bad percentage for the series. Just saying, you know, I think if he if he stinks the next game, he could probably wind it back. But it looks like something that's going to be there just every now and then for the rest of the playoffs going forward. So I'm not against it, but it's it'd be a very easy scapegoat if, if he has a, a bad night and we end up losing. So that's what I think. So, okay, first of all, do you guys ever remember? I, I feel like this is another cricket reference. I'm not, honestly not that big of a cricket fan, but do you remember Frog in a Blender? <laughs> Thanks to differ. <laughs> Sorry, who? who? <laughs> do you remember that oh, his frog name in a was blender. Paul Adams? He was like yeah. uh, South African, <laughs> and I believe left arm unorthodox was uh, was uh, was his um, was his official bowling category. But yeah, um, I was putting it nicely as well. Unorthodox. <laughs> <laughs> he was unorthodox, all right. But but that's you know Amir Johnson's jump shot kind of reminds me a little bit of frog in, frog in a blender, like just elbows flying everywhere. It was yeah. just it was quite a discombobulated sort of motion. Whereas whereas Bainsey, you know, Bainsey can shoot it. Bainsey can shoot it. So okay, another little like axiom I guess I hold to. Axiom might be a little bit too strong. Kind of just a a, a, a feeling of mine. So percentages matter a little bit less than the kind of um, subjective qualitative quality of the shots that you get, yeah. you know, um, like Bainesy shooting. Like I, I'm, I'm fine with Bane shooting, and I'm, pro, I'm actually pro it. Um, I'm pro people being aggressive, and I'm pro people taking shots that are a product of good ball movement. Um, or and in in Bane's case, um, when there's plenty of guys, um, back on defense, um. Not, I actually kind of prefer him taking above the break threes than corner threes. As weird as that sounds, just because if he misses, I want him back. You know, I want him back forming. Uh, back. I don't know if you guys read the cleaning of the glass thing. It got cited a lot, but basically how we're slowing down their break is kind of pinching, pinching the um, pinching the second big in um, around the foul line, and it's really affecting Simmons's ability to 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 get. To get a bit of a runaway. So anyway, oh, sorry. Excuse the rant. So long story short, <laughs> I'm pro Baines taking good three point shots. He should take them every time. I'm pro everybody taking good three point shots, including Marcus Smart. I'm not. I'm not that worried about their percentages. It's hard to get a good shot in the playoffs, and if you turn them down, it messes up your rhythm. There we go. End point. Yeah, it, it's hard but, to get a bad shot in the playoffs. Absolutely, but it, it's easy to get a bad shot if we're talking about some of the Marcus Smart attempts. I mean, you've got to admit there are a couple a couple that he made in this game where it was like you know, Twitter was kind of blowing up and I know the Reddit game thread was as well where at one point he hit like a fadeaway, a fadeaway like step back three, like James Harden-esque three, Marcus yeah. Smart that is. And um, that was amazing. But certainly any... That's not any, a good shot. Um, I don't want him to take those shots. Seven, by the way. So well, was, yeah. I mean, at least that's, that's it was a good thing. one. At least it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> like as far as Marcus Smart, like yeah, it's it's great to get good shots, but it's it's easy to get bad shots, and I feel like there's a difference there in the shots that Marcus Smart are taking and, and Aaron Baines are taking. But as far as Aaron Baines is concerned, any any strategy that gets Joel Embiid out of the paint uh, is a good strategy in my opinion, and that 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 seems to be what they're going with. And he's obviously been practicing their shots, and he's hitting a few of them. So uh, you know, two of six, not not so bad. Uh, now Shane Larkin went out. Uh, with an injury after colliding with Joel Embiid in the second quarter, I think it was. And uh, it was a pretty brutal-looking injury. Uh, immediately after the collision, you could see that his 
shoulder was um, sort of hunching forward like a like a 50 year IT worker. Uh, just the posture immediately descended into just old man sort of territory. Um, not good, not good at all. And he went off, and I believe the Celtics have sort of said he's undergoing tests and MRIs and you know whatever it is to determine whether or not he's going to be capable of coming back. It was his left shoulder, which is good, I think, as a as a right-handed uh, shooter. But uh, didn't look good, and he has been useful for us at certain moments within this series and the playoffs in general. And I, I do think we probably missed some of the stability that he gives our team down the stretch in certain situations. Uh, did you guys catch the injury at all? Saw it on the highlights. I was sort of like, yeah. I kind of like, I was like, what, what happened? What happened? Um, he's our, he's, he's. He's in our rotation, but he's the bottom guy in our rotation, right? Yeah, so well, he has to be. <laughs> yeah. So it'll have, you know, it's it's a minus, but it's um it's not the end of the world. Life will go on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. We can always get Jarrell Eddie back if we need that <laughs> bottom point guard. <laughs> Just saying. And Kadeem Allen is the, Kadeem the one Allen. eligible oh, true. guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't yeah. no disrespect to, to Kadeem there. Yeah. Um look it's <laughs> we, you don't want to see any of the guys go down, particularly in, you know, situations like the playoffs, obviously, but um uh yeah, as 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 long as as, as long as one of our st- that I was gonna say that sounds really mean spirit. I was gonna say as long as the starters don't get injured, I don't really care. That's not true. Um, <laughs> I wish Shane Luck in a re- quick recovery, um, but I yeah, don't think well it's soon, I don't yeah I don't think it's the end of the world going without him. But we could find ourselves in a situation where we do miss him. I doubt it though. Hopefully we can put it away before we we notice his absence. Well, who knows for Mr. Allen? Maybe it's not too late for him to redeem himself. Oh, thank you. There you Kadimsha, go. Kadimsha, <laughs> Seriously, thank you for even <laughs> reacting to that. That was terrible. Uh, now, look, the second quarter, uh, 12 to 1. It was the, the foul differential. 12 fouls called on the Celtics, one foul called on the 76ers. I, I don't like to be... I've, I've, never, I've never been this guy but i don't like to be the guy who don't like, be that calls guy, out conspiracy yeah. i'm gonna I'm, I'm going to be that <laughs> guy i have, have to be that guy rip the refs go on any any celtics fans who watch the game who have never been that guy or gal uh, um are, are now that that person because the refereeing i'm sorry to say was ridiculous and pathetically uh one-sided in in that part of the game and Yes, we blew multiple opportunities later in the game where we could have easily gotten back uh, into the game, but that that really killed our our momentum. And I just thought some of the the ticky tack fouls. There was one where Simmons fell on Marcus Smart's hand, his injured hand. They called the foul on Marcus Smart. Um, there was another one where there was a like they called a swipe on on Embiid's face mask, which just did not appear to be a foul at all. Um, and it just seemed like anything that was even close to 50-50, they were just like immediately defaulting to the sixes that their favor, um, and that just killed us. And we were in so much foul trouble heading into halftime. And uh, I was I was jumping up and down, crying conspiracy. Uh, I'm I'm curious to hear what you guys thought of that that part of the game. Yeah, I was I was leaning to the conspiracy side for a second there, just based off the, you know the knee jerk reactions. Look. Uh, Look, bitching about the refs in just about any sport is like inevitable because they're human beings and they will make mistakes. And you know, but the bit of a diversion here: my soccer team was in the grand final this past Saturday Australian time. We lost one nil to an offside goal that was very clearly offside. There's a video review system <laughs> that they have in place for situations like this. It malfunctioned 30 seconds before the goal, and they couldn't review the play, so they <laughs> let it play on. 
Yeah, now that's what that, they told now you, that, Now that is, a, now that is <laughs> yeah. bullshit on the highest order on behalf of referees. Not yeah. too far behind it was this display here, um, particularly in the second <laughs> quarter, obviously. Um, it wasn't so much, yeah, and like you said, it's not so much like the fouls, like disrupting the rhythm or getting them turnovers or getting them points, but it's the foul trouble that they put the guys in and what it does to the rotations. And, you know, you have guys, you know, likely fouling out. And it just, you know, you don't want to be go down that conspiracy theory line if they want to obviously extend the series. Because, like, you know, Cleveland just put Toronto away. So tomorrow you could have the Rockets putting out the Jazz and the Warriors putting out the Pelicans. So that would have been it for, you know, the semis. We'd be on to the finals. So there's that, you know. Super yeah, early. Hey. Yeah, that's the thing. You'd think that maybe if they wanted to squeeze another game out of it, considering the evidence that we saw today, it wouldn't be the most ridiculous thing to suggest. But look, I think you just have to you just have to accept that, particularly in the NBA, unfortunately, that the officiating can be very, very patchy at times. We saw it throughout the Milwaukee series. It didn't bite us in the ass then. It's probably not going to bite us in the ass now, but when you just see it on display, particularly from a guy like Tony Brothers, and there is a tweet here from uh, Brad Stevens, of all people, uh, documenting the last eight games where Tony Brothers uh, refereed uh, the Celtics whoa, in the whoa, playoffs. Whoa. The so Brad that's, Stevens. A re- that's a Reddit post, right? That is a Reddit uh, post. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Let sorry, me clarify no, that. Because that, that would be an insane... Yeah, uh, no. Brad St- <laughs> <laughs> the user, yeah, sorry, user Brad Dash Stevens with the Brad Stevens flair. Yeah. So maybe it's Brad Stevens, maybe it's not. Yeah, uh, it definitely is. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, just clarifying that. Yeah, eight game, eight straight Celtics games, losses uh, uh, refereed by Tony Brothers. Now, again, not saying conspiracy, but something just stinks about that, don't you think? What I think is... How Brad Stevens brilliant would that be if his burner account was just his Brad underscore Stevens like hidden in plain <laughs> yeah, sight? <right>. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Brad, you're a genius. Yeah. Would yeah. be anti KD. <laughs> Classic 40 I, I, chess, Brad Stevens. <laughs> um, okay, so there's this quote out there, and I, I can't recall it exactly, but basically the quote is like, Never assume malice when incompetence will sort of suffice as an explanation. And um, if you follow Bob Vulgaris and other people on, on Twitter, you know that yeah. Tony Brothers and Scott Foster are not like particularly highly regarded referees from a lot of NBA aficionados. So I'm pretty happy with incompetence as an explanation. But I didn't actually see the calls in real time. The only thing I can kind of surmise is that that stretch through the second quarter is what it was kind of laid the trap for what happened in the third quarter when we cut it to four and then everyone lost their minds. So I sort of feel like um, we absolutely had our opportunity to get back, but like that frustration building over, um, like the, the second quarter is what made the third quarter happen, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I'm a little bit disappointed at us for letting go of the rope mentally. Like Tony Brothers is no, he's a known quantity, right? Like, you're gonna get some crap calls. Shrug yeah. your shoulders, move on. Like that's, uh, it's hard though, you know. This this really felt like just beyond like being on the unlucky side of the calls though. Like there was a there was a few sequences in the second quarter where it was just call after call after call going in the favor of the of the Sixers and the the, the foul stats that we ran up. I don't have them in front of me, but we went into halftime with like half of our dudes and some of them not even starters in like terrible foul trouble uh which was obviously um pretty impactful you know to our chances of getting the win uh down the stretch um but it it just it seemed to impact the momentum in the sense that you just felt like there were forces against us beyond <laughs> just the players on the other team which I know is sort of 
you know, it's rolling down the, the, the line of, or the lane rather of, of conspiracy again, but it just, I've never felt, I've, I've read so many threads in the past and read so many tweets where, you know, we finish a game or, you know, in the case of another team where they're, they're calling out the refs and I've always found a way to sort of like dodge that logically, just, you know, it, it ends up going both ways, but, you know, one fan base doesn't see that or whatever, but and obviously, you know, I'm a Celtics fan, I'm a Celtics podcaster, I'm a little bit biased, but I, this was the first time ever in all the years that I've been watching the NBA where I really felt like the refs were just like very clearly and obviously like calling against us um, consistently and that really bothered me. And like yeah. I said to you guys earlier before we started recording, it put me in a, a shit mood all day. Like <laughs> yeah. it just, it felt, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe. I've never felt that way before about the refereeing. The double tech on Jalen Brown and then Brad Stevens back-to-back in the second quarter. I I, I didn't see Jalen Brown. Maybe he was muttering something, perhaps, and they called him on that. And then uh, maybe Brad Stevens was doing the same. But you couldn't... Normally, you can you can see when, like, if they're, like, getting in the ref's face or you get their audible of what they're saying. There was none of that. I mean, it's, obviously, they must have done something, like, just a tiny little bit just to give them that excuse. But I've never seen, like, that happen. It wasn't like they were revved up and, and anything. So, yeah, that, that stunk. Just quickly... Tony Brothers, one of my favorite memories of Tony Brothers in the limited time that I have been watching the NBA. It was early this season against the Rockets, that famous comeback win. And that's why I think this instance has been forgotten. But when we were in that 26-point hole at some stage, I think it was in the first half, uh, James Harden got fouled shooting a layup. It then went off the shot clock above the board, went in, and they counted it as an ad one. That was Tony Brothers' call. So... Incompetent Hanlon's razor is what I meant to say earlier. Hanlon's razor. Any, yeah, don't attribute anything to malice that you couldn't to incompetence. I think... That instance alone and what we saw today, I mean, that makes a pretty compelling case for incompetence as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. I, it I can sucks, co-sign that. We, yeah, I think it's, it sucks, but at the end of the day, it's 3-1. We'll live. Yeah, we so w- one thing I never do after a Celtics loss is head over to the RNBA post-game threads <laughs> because like, typically <laughs> you're just going to see a lot of... Um, it, negative thoughts, to put it lightly, towards the Celtics and their fans. Um, but I, I head over there anyway, and uh, everyone was calling out the refs as well. And someone called it out that if RNBA are coming to your defense as a Celtics fan, then you know something is truly wrong. And it was consistent. Even Sixers fans in that thread were saying, well, thank you, Tony Brothers. Thank you, Scott Foster, uh, for, for handing us this win to some degree. So, I don't know. That was... Uh, illuminating, if nothing else, I thought. Now, we should move on to some positive stuff. Jason Tatum, the first Celtic to record six straight 20-plus point playoff games since the truth, the captain Paul Pierce in 2009. Uh, a lot of that has to do with exploiting the the terrible Marco Bellinelli matchup. Um, you know, he's been doing that all season. But Tatum, you know, regardless of... Matchup exploitation has been incredible all all series, um, and at at certain stretches throughout the game has been our like our go to veteran scorer in some ways, despite being a, a rookie who is like still a fetus, um, <laughs> an embryo, a zygote. Yeah, he's an embryo. embryo. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's not. He's a thought. He's a thought um, from his forefathers. He's, even his dad hasn't been even been born yet. I don't know how far this meme has gotten, but um, that's where we're at. Uh, guys, thoughts on Jason Tatum? I just, um, despite the loss, like he just yeah. he had me uh, feeling pretty good after the game. 
he's old enough to be a grown man baller. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, no, it's it, he looks built for the playoffs, doesn't he? Because I mean, I think about some of the performances he's put in throughout the season and and, and whatnot. But like. Can we remember at any time throughout the regular season or the playoffs that he's looked this consistently good for this stretch here? Like, no, it's just, it's not. it's amazing to see. And, like, I mean, for, in terms of a highlight play, the one that he, that spin move that he put on Simmons that just absolutely, like, froze him dead was just, was a thing of beauty. So, we hit him yeah. with a smutty. Hit him with a smitty. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great call. <laughs> you certainly did, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, look, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things to be positive about despite the loss, but I think something that's going to be definitely positive about is Jason Tatum's performance, not just this series, but throughout the playoffs in general. The thing, it's like the Celtics are kind of confounding right now. Like, we all thought that they would lose the series. Um, there is still a chance that they may lose the series, but I, I no. You know, I'm I'm pretty happy now. I said when they got the three wins, you know, we'll we'll have won it, and and um and, and I'm standing by that. It's really hard to know how good we are because, like, particularly in the case of Tatum, and to a lesser extent, Rozier and Brown, their kind of improvement curves are quite dynamic right now. Like, we don't actually know how good they are. You know, like Tatum's Tatum's just scored six straight twenty point games, right? Like that's this is the best he's played in his career. So in his very short career, yeah. And it's yeah. very short, right? Like we don't know exactly how good he's going to be against LeBron or against you know if we go to the finals. Like, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of just just decided, nah, you know, what, I'm just going to not doubt the team anymore um, and just enjoy it. And and I think he's pr- the primary reason why. He's just a professional scorer, man. Um, yeah, like he's yeah. he's a and star. It's like we're worried about like Hayward down, but like guys, we have Horford, we have Tatum, we have Rosier, and we have Brown. Like that's four really. Those are four plus dudes, man. Like, and and um, we have a good squad. Like, like I think we just probably need to let go of the inferiority complex a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, user Reddit user I like for locos posted this this stat about Jason Tatum being uh, the franchise history, 20-plus point, blah, 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 scorer since 2009, Paul Pierce, etc. Um, and commenting on the thread, the second most upvoted comment is Foles Elite, uh, reference to the Philly quarterback, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, Sixers fan here, Tatum is absolutely incredible. Can't believe we did that trade. That is all. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Because Ben Simmons, he's playing your point guard role uh, you know, if you replace the Covington spot with uh, Jason Tatum and, and his youth and um, like his sort of seemingly endless uh, talent, that's a pretty spicy team you've got there. So, you know, everything's everything's clear in hindsight, but um, it's good to see, you know, at this point in the series when the, the tensions are high between the two fan bases, you know, a guy like that coming over and, uh, and calling it like it is. Um, yeah, Jason Tatum, uh, incredible, and obviously another twenty-point game. And it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to to see what we get from him for the remainder of the playoffs. And and when we get Hayward back and Kyrie back, and you know some of these these alpha scorers next year, what kind of role he sort of settles into, given that there are some more proven players around him. Uh, that's uh, something I guess I'm excited, maybe even slightly anxious to uh, to confront, yeah. given that he might have to sort of settle down a little bit and, and not be as aggressive, which is something that we've been begging him to be this year with all the injuries. 
Yeah, if you feel like he's, he's embraced the role, like, just organically. You don't feel like he's been rushed into it, you know, at, at all. And, you know, if it was going to show up at any stage, like any kind of shortcomings or inexperience in his game, it would have been the playoffs, these pressure situations. And he's just passing every test so far. I think, um, for me, the thing that probably sort of sticks out is he's sort of, like, in the, in the regular season, he averaged, like, maybe one and a half assists a game. And, like, like it's his, his playmaking, like, He's not just scoring the ball, right? He's doing the things that you expect guys who are primary offensive options to do, right? You know, like looking at his last... Okay, I'm just bringing up a game log really quick. Um, so last six games, four assists, four assists, two assists, two assists, five assists. Like, you know, like for me, you know, that's that just shows a guy who's 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 more and more capable of like... He just has more responsibility. And it seems like with the more responsibility he gets, like everyone who's kind of destined to be really good, you give them more responsibility and they thrive, right? Um, and, and like you, Ben, I'm a little anxious to see what happens when we do take take it off him. I think this team we have right now is really unique. Having Kyrie out gives us a different, um, it gives us a different dynamic. And it's obviously like I'd prefer Kyrie back, but, we have no holes defensively. We have plus shooters at pretty much every position except smart. You know, so that means that we're a team with like very little exploitable weaknesses. And um and and that makes us really like it's really like it's hard to know it's hard to project how well you're gonna do, you know, like we we can't that makes us a lot greater than the sum of our parts right now. Um and that's the reason why I'm pretty optimistic against Cleveland, to be honest. Yeah, well, we've got to get there first. And, you know, speaking of Tatum, we, there were some blown opportunities uh, down the stretch in this game. And one of them was the Tatum airball three. Um, like we were chatting throughout the game. There are a number of moments out of timeouts. And you, you learn as a Celtics fan to sort of trust the the Stevens ATO plays um, and you know, we kept sort of saying to each other, if we can just get a three here and mm. cut it to seven or six or eight or whatever it would be, um, then that could really swing the momentum of the game. And I think it's just, it's fair to call out these blown opportunities um, after, you know, our discussion over the, the refereeing issues, because despite all of that, we, we did have a lot of opportunities to, in the second half to, to get back in this game opportunities that we've we've taken in the past especially in game two when we came back from that deficit uh and we just didn't take them and you know if we if we had been playing at home you know maybe that's the difference between a win and a loss in this situation but we just couldn't get it done um so the blown opportunities were, were, were definitely an issue for us now did you guys see the rogier versus Embiid scuffle big man versus mm. the little man i, I did yeah, I did. Like like all good scuffles, it came over, you know, wanting to give the ball up and they just wouldn't and it went from there. Um, I, I, I think, I, I don't see a lot, I don't know if you were going to go anywhere further with this, Ben, but I don't think there's a lot in it personally. I think, you know, just, it was just two guys fired up and it got into it. Embiid likes to just, you know, run his mouth. I said a couple of podcasts ago, I think I liked him. He seemed like a really funny dude and nice and chilled out. And I still maintain that like a little piece of me, but right now, fuck Joel Embiid, man. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right Seriously, there with you, I'm sick honest. of him. Go home. Go back to Twitter. I've had enough of you. I've had enough of you and your, your shit. Sorry, but yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I I do agree. Like, what, what he he's done nothing in the series really, you know. Hasn't What's made a difference. Hasn't made a difference. No, he hasn't. 
Yeah, he was quoted as saying, uh, I've got the, the, the quote right here. Joel Embiid on Rogier, too bad he's too short that he couldn't get to my face. Um, I don't, like, no one has punched punch him. No, yeah, and, and like, close. in not this NBA, in the playoffs, like, no one's, for years now, no one's just, like, punching someone in the face. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. at least intentionally, everything, you know, as, as Jalen Rose likes to always say, it's, it's a hold-me-back hold me situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was absolutely one of those. Like, they, they took it to uh, an acceptable level in terms of getting into a scuffle uh, on a nationally televised game. But, um, and, and Rogier just showing the composure there. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but... Very much like with the Bledsoe situation, he was just basically saying, yeah, we're just out there having fun. You know, it's just uh, two competitive guys out there, you know, trying trying to get in each other's heads, but it was nothing more than that. Whereas Embiid has to be a little bit petty and sort of, you know, drag the the situation through the mud a little bit there with that comment. So, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. That's, got, that's, his, that's his game, though, is it, at Embiid? I mean, he look, he, like, let's, let's get the thing straight. You know, he's a very, very talented player, you know, considering he's been out for as long as he has with injuries and, you know, the physical presence he has and blah, 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 blah. But, like, you feel like his Twitter account is as much of his marketability as his actual basketball game. Now, obviously, he's in his first few seasons, or his first, like, probably full season, you could probably say it. Um, and, you know, you got to make a name for yourself. you got to live up to a celebrity standard. But, I mean, like, you know, Rogier, <laughs> you know, was a, a, a 12th pick that everyone hated and no one thought anything good of him. And here we are all <coughs> these years later. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. Here we are all these years later and everyone is talking about him like he's a, he's a star point guard because of his game. And I feel like yeah. Embiid relies a little bit too much on the theatrics and the whatnot. Again, there's not saying you can't do that, but, you know, I just, I, I know what I would prefer from my players, just personally. Just doesn't come off as charming, you know? Like, generally, Embiid's really charming and and kind of well-meaning, but he's kind of coming off a bit whiny. Yeah. I think we're seeing yeah. him losing. We're seeing him lose. Exactly. And we're he, yeah, he's, he's not handling it well. He's not handling it as well as he lo- thinks he is, I think. He did uh, arrive to Game 4 with the shirt that on the back of it said, history will be retweeted, retweeted. which I thought was interesting for Joel Embiid, <laughs> who is, um, you know, quite the, uh, the Twitterman, as it were. Yeah. And, <laughs> the Twitster. Uh, yeah, the Twitster. The, the, he's got a PhD in tweeting um, and nothing else. But he has not been as dominant in this series as uh, one would have expected going into it. And I think I was listening to the Ringer NBA show yesterday as I was walking home from work and Bill Simmons was on the line. It was basically saying every time Joel Embiid gets the ball in the post, he is totally okay with that because he's been completely inefficient. Um, Obviously, I'm not quoting him verbatim here. But um, he's just not the he's not the post threat that you would expect from your classic dominant big man, and it's it you're kind of fine with it. Like for him to get the ball and the offense to stop and stare as he does his little you know shimmy shoot whatever thing, um, totally okay with that, right? Like he he can have it. Yeah, we'll get the yeah. stop, we'll get the rebound, much, and we'll score in transition. Yeah. Much more comfortable with him in the post as I was with Giannis. And I think I it will be for for the rest of time unless he like really elevates his game, um you know not to go over old ground but it's just it's just like this series has made me realize how good of a player Giannis was and how much of an achievement was to get past him there that's just something that I think looking at him beat in the post, and, and beat in the post takes Philadelphia out of what they really want to do, and yeah when you yeah, he does when you when you mess with a team's identity they you know they they crack we all do like if the Celtics. The same thing can happen with the Celtics. Like, Giannis talked about it a little bit. Um, he said, you know, they got us 
they basically got the Celtics hunting the mismatches a little bit too much, and it took them out of what they really like to do. And and um, the same, I've used the word dynamic like three times on this podcast, so my apologies. But the same dynamic is applying here, you know. It's the word of the day. It's the word of the day. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Now, uh, finally, bef- quickly before we move on to game five. Did you guys see Mark Keith Morris in the Mook jersey? Hell yeah. Right. Hell that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Couldn't like, tell them apart. <laughs> I know, right? The, it was the same strip as they were on the court. And you know the first thing I did was? Full kit wanker. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was a full kit wanker. The first thing I did was go straight to the Wizards page to see if anyone was blowing up about it. Not a word. They might be there now because this was like as it was happening live. But the first thing I thought of was how much this will piss off Wizards fans. Well, yeah. So definitely, uh, I, I don't know about a world first, but probably an NBA first. So a professional sports player's identical twin who plays for another professional sports franchise sitting in the stands wearing the, you know their twin's jersey while they're con- contractually signed to another team in the same league. Yeah. That was kind of spicy. I'm, a, I'm comfortable with that as a first. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe, I, maybe, maybe Seth Curry had a Steph jersey on at one stage in the last few years, but you wouldn't call them identical twins, would you? So that's, yeah, I'm happy with that as a world first. But what yeah, makes no. it warped, right, is the, is the fairly heated rivalry that, you know, Markeith Morris was part of between the Wizards and the Celtics, and here he is rocking yeah. a Celtics jersey. It's awesome. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what they say, uh, the blood is thicker than the mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what an example of that. <laughs> now... Game five, I want to start with the betting odds. I really, when I, when I went to the betting odds website, um, I, I really expected at this point of the series for the Celtics to be the favorites. However, mm. Philly are paying $1.83. Boston are playing, uh, paying rather, excuse me, $2.02. So they're playing at home. They're up 3-1 in the series. Uh, we've pretty much demonstrated everything possible to show that we are the true favorites in this series. And yet... Vegas, you know, the the bookies out there are still favoring Philly to come and win this game. Uh, despite all of the numbers, you know, in terms of home versus road to uh, imply the contrary, uh, very confusing. And I, I am a little bit tempted to put a bet on Boston, although I, I have a rule where I don't bet emotionally. Uh, are you guys surprised by these odds? Or like, who who are your favorites heading into game five? This doesn't um, pass a sniff test to me. Like, No, if, no it doesn't. If, okay, so... What who's what? What are the odds on the Sixers winning the series right now? Uh, I will come back to you with that. Give me a moment. Okay. Can Cons- Cons- Sorry, go on, Joe. Well, okay. So what I'm thinking is, okay, the Sixers are favourites to win this game, right? If they win Apparently. this game and there's a game six, presumably they would then be the favourites to win that game, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. if they won the last two, right? Surely they would then have to turn around and be the favourites to win game seven. So if there's the, those three events take place, right? You know, or if they won the next two games, they'd be they'd be favourites to be against him. So they would be the presumptive favourites in all of those games, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. yet, I'm assuming that they cannot possibly be favourites to win the series from this point. Yeah, doesn't make sense. So no, they couldn't. Like, they would be the Boston favourites. Boston are the clear favourites, paying a dollar twenty to win the series. Uh, the Seventy Six is paying four dollars eighty, which, interesting enough, were almost exactly. Um, like the mirrored odds heading into the series where it was basically Philly paying $1.20 and Boston paying $4.80, almost to the cent 
Um, so that that's weird that we're like you said, like we're not the favorites to win this game, and yet we're the very, very clear favorites to uh, to win the series overall. I, f- I feel like there's got to be some sort of mathematical formula you could come up with that would would see you bet money on Philly winning each game from now on. No, I've already I've already stuffed it up. I was gonna say, surely you could just like <laughs> double your money on Boston until they lose, or no, sorry, until they win, or you just bet on Philly to win the series. Again, yeah, that doesn't like, make sense to me. But yeah, yeah. No, it, 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 it does, does. There is there is a flaw in there somewhere, and yeah, I, I'm not an emotional better either. But I'm I'm feeling like I'm feeling like putting like money on Boston, and then whatever I, if they lose that, then doubling it for the next game, and then they lose, doubling it for the next game after that because. Yeah, the odds of a team coming back from three to nothing in NBA playoffs—it's never happened. So it's got to be like ninety-nine percent or something that that Boston. No, sorry, it's got to be like one percent that Boston loses this series. So yeah, that's that is a feels like a massive abnormality to me. It smells yeah. like arbitrage. Somebody uh, sniff it out. Nice word. <laughs> nice word, Joe. <laughs> if Philly, if Philly somehow win this game uh, on our home court. And we go back to Philadelphia with them having won the last two games in a row and then playing game six in their house. I'll be worried at this point, given that we've got two home games remaining to close out the series, uh, uh, you know, getting into the prediction side of things here, looking ahead, I'm, I'm not worried at all. I, I would, like I said, I don't bet emotionally and I, I'm extremely emotional heading into game five. <laughs> uh, I, but I, I, would, I would bet um, something. On us winning Game Five, absolutely. I just feel, I feel like at this point, given our our home record so far in the playoffs, um, man, it's, it's going to happen. I'm not going to be worried until we're down big in the fourth quarter of Game Seven. Then I'll be worried. Absolutely. Until yeah, absolutely. then, I'm not worried. And even at all. then, you're like Brad Stevens, yeah, exactly. right? Like come back time. There's still a chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there is there any of us prior to the start of the series who would have not, who, let alone three one up? In going into Game Five, like God, we would have. You probably would have taken two two, wouldn't you have? Yeah. Given yep. what we were at the start of the season. Yeah, you were at the start of the series, be. rather. Yeah. yeah, so like 3-1 up. Holy shit. Like, I mean, yeah, I'll take that all day long. I don't care what the odds are. And it's a different kind of 3-1 too, right? When you get up 3-0, that's a different 3-1 to being at like 2-1 and then, you know, and then winning that game. You know, yeah, like three, it three does matter that you got series. up three zip in the first place. It definitely does. We made some predictions coming out of the first two games in Boston as to what would happen in, in the two games in Philadelphia. Uh, you guys both said we'd come out of that 2-2 with Philly winning both of those games. I made a bold prediction saying that we'd come away 3-1 and that it was uh, very important for us to win game three. And if we were going to win one of those games, uh, that'd be the game that we won. Uh, we did win one of those games. Uh, I uh, Really, I would have liked at this point for someone else to have called that out, but uh, we're getting to late in the show. I've got to call it out myself. <laughs> Probably fair enough. Oh, oh, I see this. Dis- I see. The, I see the asterisks down the bottom of the page now. I never scrolled there. Please mention my <laughs> yeah. prediction. Sorry, man. I, I didn't read yeah. all the way to the bottom. I put it my in bad. rainbow color. It's flashing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> had had to be said. Now I'm the host. You know, I can call it out. That's fine. <laughs> uh, hey, well done, look- Ben. I'm glad you're all right. Thank you very much, Joe. Now, uh, I, I just I wanted to call that out for all of those who are worried about heading into Game 5 uh, about the, the potential for us to not win, win this game. Obviously, I've proven myself as a, uh, as a future um, series outcome predictor, and I, I'm very confident that we'll go into Game 5 and, uh, and just win that shit. It'll probably be a blowout. We might even see some Geno. So um, rest assured, that's probably what's going to happen. Just off the top of my head, I think, what did I say? Boston's 33-0, and went 2-0 up. Billy's 0-11, went... 0-2 down. No team has ever come back from 3-0. and We're undefeated at home in the postseason, and we've got two games to go at the home. So, 
Stick your, stick, stick your two dollar two up your ass, fucking Vegas. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. I just um, got a I just got a soapbox thing for a minute. That's alright. Yeah, go on. That's, go that's on. Cool. Okay. All right. You know, I know I've hogged a little bit of the mic. I've hogged a little bit of the mic this this uh, this pod, but here's the thing. You talked about forces, right? You talked about the referees, right? And you're like, it felt like there were forces greater than the normal ones that were acting against the Celtics. I would like to offer a counterpoint. Okay. The basketball <laughs> gods do not want the Philadelphia 76ers to win. And this is the this is the penance they must pay for the process, right? If you can think of Samuel L. Jackson, right? Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill, right? Shepherds the Celtics. <laughs> To a playoff appearance in 2014-15 with only 40 wins. For he is truly yeah. his brother's keeper and the finder of steals at the 15th pick in the draft. And the basketball gods will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. Those who would attempt to poison the competitive balance of the NBA. <laughs> and destroy the integrity of competition. That was worth hogging the yeah. mic for, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Big I feel time. it. Big time. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I I follow that sentiment absolutely. Uh, we will win this game. I mean, we're going to be back to eat crow if, if we don't, or celebrate if we do. Either way, so um, but look, it, it's looking pretty rosy for the Celtics. I think everything's going to come up Celtics at the end of the day. Uh, that's my analytic take <laughs> heading into Game Five. Now, before we move on, guys, Jalen Brown's been coming off the bench since the hamstring injury. Do you think it's likely? given that we might need to make an adjustment to, to counter the McConnell insertion, uh, will we start Jalen Brown and send Marcus Smart back to the bench or will we keep it as, as it's been? What do you guys think? I'm expecting him to come back into the starting lineup, yeah. And I'm not, I'm, that's just a gut feeling. I feel like if there's a loss, I feel like, I feel like given that there's a, there's a loss there, I feel like we should probably switch it up just a little bit just to give them something to think about. I mean, they did it to us and it worked, so I think like we should do it to them. It is our original or, you know, it has been our standard starting five throughout the playoffs. So I think now that, I mean, I wasn't watching carefully to see if like Jalen was having any kind of like wincing uh, from uh, dunking or like running on the hamstring too much. But I think if he's, I think if he's fully ready and good to go, I think I would fully expect to see him back in the starting five. Um, I, I sort of feel like this is just some dumb thinking maybe, but McConnell's little, Brown's bigger than smart. Why do we need to put Brown in? Like, I, I, I feel like the status quo will probably stay the same, but look, what do I know? I thought Ojale was going to play a big role this series and has been basically visible. Yeah, and, and Jalen has been pretty powerful off the bench, sort mm. of um, in a, in a little, little bit of a way like Larkin has been for us um, in terms of coming in and and being different enough from the players originally on the floor to um, to discombobulate the defense, the opposing defense a little bit. But Jalen Brown has been hitting some like pretty solid threes consistently, yeah. right? Like, And he's been pulling up yeah. for shots that earlier in the season and, and definitely last season, you'd be like, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? Like, don't take that shot. But he's starting to make them more and more consistently. And, you know, as, as fans and spectators, you, you start to gain a little bit more... Um, like assurance that he's, he's going to make those shots and to have that off the bench as well as the athletic defensive ability. That's uh, it's a pretty powerful thing to be bringing in just as people are starting to fatigue a little bit. His shot looks wet, man. It looks wet. Mm-hmm. If, if I was a Sixers fan and Brown was firing up a three, I'd be like, oh, shoot. 
You know? That's why they call him Downtown Jalen Brown. That's, that's one of my exactly favorite nicknames on the team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, you know, we, we like to end these podcasts with getting to some news coming through the Celtics subreddit. We are the Celtics Reddit podcast after all. Now, user Rusty8642, not sure of the significance of those numbers, posted, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are playing at a historic level in these playoffs. And he's, he's broken down some stats for us. So it's basically said... Since the addition of the three-point line, only two players under 21 years of age in the playoff history have ever averaged over 16 points per game in less than or equal to 35 minutes per game. And those two players are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm not going to go through every individual stat. I mean, that, that basically summarizes this point here. He's basically said, part of this is... Of course, due to the way that Brad Stevens allocates minutes in his rotation, usually digging deeper in the bench than most other teams. So to account for this, he, and this is uh, user Rusty A642, changed the scoring threshold to 18 18 plus points per game per 36 minutes. And our favorite Jays find themselves in elite company by the likes of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and Kevin Durant. Those guys are all right. Yeah, they're they're fine, right? Uh, They're okay. So look, uh, I won't spoil the rest of the post for you, but uh, as of recording, that was posted approximately a day ago. Uh, it's one of the top posts of the week in the sub. Highly recommend uh, reading through that because the the stats breakdown that he's um, that he's posted there it's very illuminating, and you know obviously we're witnessing through our very eyeballs the the, the greatness that is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So to see the numbers, um, you know broken down by one of our very own subreddit users um, is good to see and, and backs up, you know, the, the eyeball test that we're, that we're performing every night. So I don't know. I thought that was awesome and worth shouting out on the podcast. Mm. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like every, every couple of days there's like records that come through, but mainly about Jason Tatum, but Jalen Brown as well, you know, given that, you know, the performances that they're putting forward in the postseason, you know, we talked about the 20 point games earlier, but like, you know, you can cherry pick stats with basketball a lot. I find there's a lot of like, Oh, LeBron's the first person at the 15th minute of game three to have blah, 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 <laughs> and all that kind of shit. Whereas I think there's definitely that angle to it, but there's got to be a modicum of truth to, you know, pulling out stats like this when they consistently keep coming up for players like this. So I'm not surprised. I mean, I didn't know that, and it's it's very pleasant. It's it, it's it's great to read, but I'm not super surprised, even though I couldn't articulate those with the, uh, the stats that they had. But, um, you know, I think we all know, even if we don't say historic levels of greatness or, or you know, potential that they're displaying, we all know that they're that they're going to get there. Yeah, I just I like it when people like do the work for me. Where as like a sometimes like a not a dumb fan, but just like a lazy fan, I'm like, oh, these guys are really good. Pretty sure they're really great. And then someone like puts it all together in like a well formed formulated opinion with all the 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 numbers and evidence to back it up. And I'm like, oh, they are actually very good, and the numbers suggest that as well. So it's not just me; it's not just us as biased fans, but like here are the numbers to suggest the uh, like trajectory that they're on as players. So I don't know. I understand what you're saying. Like it's easy yeah. to sort of formulate these opinions, but it, it's it's yeah. good to see the numbers back up the uh, the the sentiments from the fans. Somebody has to score for us, right? So it's sort of like it's not like these. It's not like. Um, I'm a little bit in between. Like, obviously, like I think, I think Brown, I think Brown and Tatum are for real. Um, but I'd still be super surprised if they turned out to be LeBron or Jordan or Durant. Like, very, very, mm. very surprised. That they're not. To me, neither of them are quite that pedigree. You know, they're both all stars, future all stars. They're that kind of pedigree. But like, 
yeah. top, top echelon? Probably not, which is fine. Like, you know, they're Gordon Haywards, you know, like, you know, maybe a little better. That's great. Yeah. I've been saying I've been saying to my friends who don't watch a lot of basketball or like don't know a lot about the guys that I've compared J- I've compared Jalen to a, a poor man's Kawhi and I've compared Jason to a poor man's Durant. Now those are probably not super accurate, but in terms of just like you know a couple of aspects here and there, you can you get the idea. Now putting poor man in front of something may, means to imply that you know it's not that great or whatever. But like when you you know when it's a Durant or a, or a or a Leonard or whoever you want to throw in there, you know yeah, it, like you're saying, Joe, it's 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 that's not a bad thing at all to have a player who is, you know, better than, you know, 60% of the other players in his yeah. position. Like, the guys, teams comprised of those guys, you know, they don't just win, you know, they, they go very close to winning championships. So, you know, I'm, I don't care if they have never hit the, those heady, heady heights of, like, all-time greats. All they've got to be is good enough to get to the champion, to get to the finals, and anything can happen from there. Yeah, the Warriors were, like, at the end of the day, pre-Durant, the Warriors were built on a bunch of guys, right, who, uh, like... None of the Warriors, of those original Warriors, except for Curry, are historic talents at all. Like, Curry's a mm. great shooter. Draymond's a great, versatile player. Harrison Barnes was useful. Bogut was a useful center. They had good bench. Like, none of those guys were, like, none of those guys were, were you know, you know how there's, like, that, that top tier of dudes? Other than Curry, none of them were. You don't need everybody to be that guy, you know? And it's still, they're still absolutely capable of being massive contributors to to a great team. Yeah, I completely agree. And as far as Brown and Tatum are concerned, Brown, I see, is having a lot of potential, but I won't be too disappointed if he doesn't. You know, certainly I don't expect him, I guess, to become a historic player. But from what I've seen of Jason Tatum, my expectations are pretty high. Like, I I do feel like he he has shown us that he has elite potential, certainly. And you know, this is his rookie season. He's, he's carrying the Boston Celtics um, through the playoffs at this point. Um, you know, it's the second round of the playoffs. And I, I do feel like, you know, I'm not looking at any stats. I'm not looking at anything. Uh, I'm, I just think from what we've seen from Tatum so far, he's shown that he, he really does have that elite potential. And with a little bit more poise, a little bit more experience, some conditioning... Uh, and certainly confidence. I, I really do feel like he has that sort of Durant level potential, but there are some aspects to his game that I think are a little juicier than Kevin Durant. Um, his, his ability, well, it just like his ability to get to the rim, and this is coming off a season where he we got used to him basically losing the ball at any time he drove to the basket, and yet in these playoffs, he he seems to have like just cross that off and now he's like I know what to do when I'm driving to the hoop and I know if I need to kick it out or I know if I need to you know do something with my hugely long arms to to get um, contact and draw a foul and like that's just kind of happened almost literally overnight and it's his rookie season we've seen all this growth from him and I I feel like the one thing that could detract from that is is maybe our you know our our all-stars that we already have on our team coming back and, and maybe detracting from his ability to continue to de- develop those skills. But it's just it's just been so nuts, I think, to see how much progress he's, he's made in this season. Um, and I, I don't recall a rookie, particularly for the Celtics, um, in you know all the time that I've been watching basketball, who has, has shown that level of promise. And that's why my expectations on, on Jason Tatum are so high. Agreed. Yeah. We will see. We will see. It's fun. I hope we hang on to it. 
I hope we hang on to our young core. I actually don't want to go the Anthony Davis route, but that's a discussion nah. for another time. A couple of quick news items before we wrap this up. Jay King of the Locked On Celtics podcast, and I think he writes for Mass Live as well. Uh, quote, Jalen Brown on his tech. I was very surprised. I don't have a bad reputation of talking to officials or anything. I'm going to go back and look at it and definitely contact somebody to see what's going on there. That's pretty interesting and sort of a, a heady intellectual mm. response there from, from Jalen Brown yeah. rather than just complain about it and, and bitch about it. He's actually he's going to email th- someone. Sophisticated, or... <laughs> sophisticated way of saying, I didn't say shit, man. Yeah. yeah. No, he um, said it the right way. <laughs> and the Celtics tweeted out after the game, Shane Larkin will undergo tests tomorrow to evaluate the extent of his left shoulder injury. So uh, stay tuned on the sub or on Twitter if you're following the Boston Celtics to see what's going on there. Look, that'll just about do it for this episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit Podcast. Before we go, you may have noticed that we now have ourselves an official logo. That's courtesy of, of the great work of Celtics subreddit user, Collie Motion. What a legend. Hopefully you guys love the logo as much as we do. Definitely hit up Collie Motion if you have any needs in the graphic design department. Thanks again, mate. We've also finally stripped out the last of the copyrighted music from our earlier episodes and submitted our application for Spotify. So we should be up on Spotify within the next two weeks, if we're lucky. All right, Jackson and Joe, thanks again for joining us. Love your work. We'll see you shortly after Game 5. Laters, boys. Hopefully that will be the series clencher. See you then. I think so. Go Celtics. Peace. Peace.